Support for Boston Public Radio comes from Mass General Cancer Center, dedicated to providing the latest therapies and cancer specialists who are experienced in your cancer. When you hear the word cancer, their team is ready. Learn more at massgeneral.org cancer. You can find out what the sun can do for you at sunbugsolar.com. Welcome back to Boston Public Radio, Jim Browdy and Marjorie Egan. I don't know if I can do this as well as Marjorie, but I will try. Arby's. Arby's. Sorry. Arby's. Okay, let's start this again. Arby's has a beef no, Jim, with plant-based disability. meat alternatives, and they're retaliating with meat-based vegetables. They actually are. Joining us on the line to talk about this, our favorite story of the day, how a Michelin chef had a major meltdown oh, over my cheddar God. cheese. And other headlines at the intersection of food policy and food culture. It's Corby Cummer. Corby is the executive director of the Food and Society Policy Program at the Aspen Institute. We've never even been invited. Senior editor at the Atlantic and a senior lecturer at the Tufts Friedman School of Nutrition, Science, and Policy. Hello, Corby Cummer. Well, hello there. Well, Corby Cummer, I learned something that was very encouraging today: that um, the United States of America, through the government, supplies. Uh, food trucks to distribute free lunch to kids uh, in uh, places like New York City where lots of kids are poor. That's the upside. I guess the no, downside... left out the key during summer when there's no school. Oh, did, I didn't say summer. Didn't okay, say, I'm yeah. sorry. Right now. I didn't even know this. Nor did I. Um, and um, But uh, apparently not that many kids are taking advantage of the program, even if they are so-called food insecure. What's going on? It's a really interesting story in New Food Economy about the eligibility of so many students to get summer meals, but they're not taking it up. So why summer meals? Because whenever you study food insecurity, which is defined by families or people not being sure where their next meal is going to come from when they wake up in the morning, if they're going to have enough to eat that day, summer Summer school lunch is a real absence and problem for families that rely on it. Uh, It's one of the reasons that a lot of um, districts that qualify for free lunch serve free breakfast, too. And that's a big part of a child's nutrition. Uh, And it's what they need during the day. So quite a while ago, the USDA extended this to summer meals programs. Uh, Generally speaking, the article says about half the children residing in a certain area have to qualify for free or reduced price lunch. And then there are these, you know, fabulous food trucks or what's more like it is occasional churches, occasional meal programs that are hard to get to. That's why there's low participation. So they think that one in seven kids who qualify for these across the country are, are taking up USDA on it. And obviously the Trump administration is going to do nothing to try to publicize it or encourage further participation. So why don't local governments who are directly responsible to low-income people in their communities, if the feds won't publicize it adequately, why don't cities, towns, and states publicize it adequately? Well, A, that's a good question. B, I remember that when Mayor Menino was opening the summer camp on Long Island... uh, Camp Harbor View. Well, which you might have visited. I haven't, but still flourishes. There was a lot of publicity then about the availability of summer lunch and how important it is to take care of kids during the summer and just don't let them be abandoned Uh, to the streets, essentially, in the summer. So I know that Boston was doing something about it. I bet they still are. But it's a question of 
how much funds does a municipality have available? And I don't even know if many districts are even aware that this summer feeding lunch uh, option exists. You know, we have Marty Walsh on Friday at the library. We're going to ask him about that. It's a very and important he has been question. he's been alerted in advance. Well, you know, but well, in addition to which, he is very he's been very supportive of that program. Yeah. By the uh, uh, by the uh, what's the, the Shaw Family Foundation? Oh yes, which is doing well, that improving was a, the quality of lunches. Yeah, that was a great uh, a piece by the by the Shaw Foundation that talked about what they've done is they pay for all these kitchens in uh, individual schools in Boston so the food can be prepared there. But they showed in that documentary about how a lot of these kids in Boston schools are getting essentially frozen meals inside plastic containers you couldn't even tell what they were and often and, throwing them right and in the not garbage eating them and then they transferred to this they're hoping to get it through most of the boston public schools which would be great but anyway can i you know speaking of lunch though can i just change the subject certainly. i i decided i was trying to figure out what i'd eat today you ate i decided my lunch. well i ate a part of your lunch you're not food insecure it wasn't Jane. enough i'm far from food insecure but i'm thinking of having i wonder your opinion as a food critic i was thinking of having a merit today i wasn't <laughs> Sure, and yeah. I, I brought a few merits in, and I was going to... Is this a joke? What? No, it's, I'm going to eat them serious? for lunch. Okay, this is from Arby's. They have an answer to plant-based meat. That's a headline mm-hmm. from the New York Times. And yeah. the answer is a meat-based carrot it's called, called a marrot. Yeah. Now, I, 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 is this serious? Yes. <laughs> it's not serious. Yes, Here it is. we are. It's a publicity stunt. Serious. Arby's is saying we serve a lot of meat. We like a lot of meat. Mm-hmm. We don't think our customers want these newfangled, ridiculous, hippie, vegan type substitutes right, for meat. Right, we want merits. No, I mean, what we want to do is call attention to our Trump-style red meat serving. (laughs) We only care about meat, and we're turning our back on impossible and beyond meat and all these ridiculous namby-pamby, yuppie, foodie things. So they're inventing these things that they are meat substitutes for carrots. Right, exactly. The the merit. It is a merit, and they are going to be served. It's it's a piece of chicken. It's a meat vegetable. Turkey breast wrapped in cheese Cut in the shape of a carrot. And coated in a carrot marinade. Exactly. It's just for publicity, and here we are talking about it. No, actually, I'm eating it. here the Times was devoted eight pages of a printed out story Look, to this ridiculous stunt. But wait a second. There's no greater trumpeter of the the impo- Beyond, whatever the hell it's called, and Impossible. What are those two companies called, please? Beyond Meat and Impossible Right. Foods. No greater trumpeter of them than you. But sure. when you read this story, the, with the exception of Burger King and Little Caesars, I don't even know where Little Caesars is, virtually every uh, fast food chain has said no to these meat alternatives. And I mean, there is one that is at least open-minded, which is McDonald's, which obviously would be huge. But also Burger King. Burger, I said Burger King is already doing it, and Little Caesars. So it isn't like it's taking over the fast food market, Also White right? Castle, our favorite is White that true? Castle. Yeah, yeah, they've been taking Beyond Meat for a while, and Burger King has Impossible. What this shows is that companies are cowardly. They want to see that it's actually catching on before they invest money. And as McDonald's says, our grill space is extremely valuable. And before we're willing to cede any of that real estate to these substitutes, we're going to make sure the market at our competitors, they can go out on a limb and they can lose money. We're not going to. It's a real wait-and-see approach. But Arby's has taken it a step farther to get itself the publicity we are giving. Yep, we fell right into that trap. By the way, Lucia just emailed to tell us that Framingham 
And the library there offers free lunch three days a week during the summer. Really? Yeah, so apparently this is going on in a lot of places. We just it's were also unaware part of, of the revitalization of libraries across the country. Could that you do me a favor? Could you, while I'm talking to Corby, could you email her back and ask if they include merits in that? <laughs> You know, by the way, since you mentioned White Castle, I'm telling you a story I've never told you before, Corby. There used to be a White oh, Castle in Central Square. Do you remember the White Castle? I do not. Okay, it was two hamburgers for 99 cents when I moved there. And I got in a little argument with the guy who was at the cash register. Is that a euphemism, little argument? Yes, it is. A little argument with the guy because I was being treated <laughs> disrespectfully. And, the cardinal uh, sin. And we went back and forth. <laughs> One of our coworkers <laughs> said, yeah, two for 99, but those burgers are the size of a dime. They were That's small. Right. but That's they right. were. However, let me finish my story because it's a really, really okay. important we're one. we're all waiting. Thank you. It's not about merits. But so essentially, uh, I was treated disrespectfully, so I had a word or two with the guy who was the cashier there, and yeah. I gave him Very a dollar civilized. for my two uh, uh, hamburgers. And I was nine. I didn't wait for the penny because, you know, screw him. I'm getting out of here. And I get in my car and I'm furious, but I'm also hungry. So I unwrap one of the hamburgers and I take a bite out of it. He put my penny change inside the hamburger. And that was really inventive. Wait a second. What's so funny? I practically broke like three guy. teeth. What what qualifies as being disrespectful to you, Jim? I'm just curious. I went up to him. I said, do you know who I am? And he didn't. Well, I mean, does it get any more disrespectful than that? Exactly. But you know no, what? I, I mean, he, was, he was a little jerk. I don't know what he said. I don't remember. It was 20 years ago. Okay. But I did put a penny in my burger. That's Go stuck ahead. in your memory and Apparently, your craw. So two for 99 cents yeah. illustrates that White Castle claims to have invented the slider, which is a way of saying... We found a way of fobbing off a tiny, <laughs> tiny bit of meat for a very little bit of money. But they in were indeed, and I think they still are famous for their sliders that are cheap. I didn't know that. So here yeah. is another eight or ten page story from the New York Times. This one is about bottle bills, which have been not done very well with voters. I, I guess uh, only one state since, 80, uh, since 87, that's Hawaii, has passed a bottle bill. But this seemed to indicate, and I, I was a little confused to tell you the truth, Corby, but the industry now, as in Coca-Cola, et cetera, are not fighting bottle oh, bills please. anymore? Of please. course they're fighting bottle bills. Okay, they bills. are. So I misunderstood it completely. What What is going on then? What you did is, you know, again with the propaganda. So what is the propaganda now? Uh, f the underlying fact is uh, soda companies hate bottle bills because it depresses sales and they lose money. Okay. Bottle bills are effective for recycling because more people go back and give their bottles to get back the two cents or the five cents or whatever the deposit is. So they really work, but they're not good for business. Because they're not good for business, the reason is you're saying innocently, well, they haven't done well since the mid-late 80s. They haven't done well because there have been these massive industry-funded campaigns against them. Uh, and now the reason you think that Coca-Cola is opening the door to them is because they indeed say they are opening the door to supporting bottle bills as long as they include other kinds of food containers like yogurt, which right now are exempted. And they say if we're not unfairly and exclusively targeted, mm -hmm. we believe in recycling just as much as the next guy. Uh, there was an example in this New York Times piece about uh, Atlanta, the home place, homeland of Coca-Cola, donating $4 million to the city for a scavenger program in which they would pay people to go and scavenge in various 
rubbish bins and find bottles and return them. So that was their way of saying, as long as it's not mandated across the city that everybody is paying two to three cents extra, which they can get, we'll support it. And the company and the and Atlanta caved in and they said, okay, no bottle bill because how nice that we have this one-time $4 million grant from impoverished Coca-Cola. Yeah, I have two things I'd like to add about this. First of all, does the story say there are only 10 states that actually mandate a recycling? I was very surprised by that because I thought it was much more So did I. I thought it was much more, Don't you remember in Massachusetts, PERG, MassPERG was the group behind this, and they were always huge amounts of money spent. But I have one question on the merits and then one political thing. On the merits, assuming that that the vast majority of people agree that uh, recycling and the deposit is a good idea. I forgot the the, uh, the the beverage companies. Is there any reason why carbonated drinks should be included and non-carbonated containers should not be on the merits, not politics? Is Absolutely there? not. Okay. And in terms of the politics, can I tell you, and by the way, I understand why you reacted like you did, Marjorie, because, you know, to, to reading the story. I read you know it what too fast. This is like when you turn on television or the radio and you hear one of those vaping companies saying, oh, please, all you people under 21, remember that it's illegal to do this. We discourage the use and it's illegal. It's basically an advertisement for people under 21 to go do that which they pretend like they don't want you to do. This is which is so, the biggest incentive to say it's forbidden. Exactly, it is so totally phony. You know, it's insane. Let me ask you one other question, Corby. What about all the coffee cups everybody drinks, whether they're from Dunkin' Donuts, whether they're from Starbucks, or wherever you go to get your coffee? Some of them are recyclable. Many of them are not, right? Yeah, but they're hugely problematic and guilt-inducing because they are lined with a plastic that evidently prevents them. And if you've gotten the unlined ones and you've had the hot coffee spill through the bottom, you know why they're lined with plastic. But evidently that plastic makes them very hard to recycle. And I think we talked about last year England mandating the redesign of coffee cups so that they're truly recyclable. Um, and I guiltily, knowing they're not really recyclable, always throw them into the recycle bin but into the recycle bin, but they're not. Um, and, and Duncan and Starbucks have said they're doing something about this. Did I ever tell you, too, that I got in a fight with the cashier at 7-Eleven and I was drinking my seltzer and there was a penny you know, at the bottom of it? You know, this is a pattern, Did I ever tell you? There, there, there's many stories like this, yeah. Corby. We just don't have all day to talk about Jim's altercations with people, <laughs> clerks, salespeople. You're yeah. always nice to the waiter and waitresses, though. We call them I have to, I have to bring up one more aspect of this Please story, which is so ironic and 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 um, infuriatingly helps the, the bottle companies, which is in Tennessee where this came up. Oh, God. There's this program to use inmates to go by the roadsides and collect bottles mm-hmm. um, to get money for them and put them in the recycle bill and their cleanup crews. And if there was actually a statewide bottle bill, that money for the inmates would go away. And so the state, the state wants this money that they're getting from the from from the Jeez. companies to go and and use this kind of paid slave labor, and they don't want to lose it. So. Um, 
you know what I say to Coca-Cola is, it's great that you're opening the door and saying you're all for recycling. Let's see you actually put money behind a revised bill that includes food containers. We're talking to Corby Kummer. So Airbnb, very popular. Lots of people use it. Apparently now small farmers, and one of them is featured from up in Maine on Vox, who is doing Airbnb to help uh, mom stay at home with the kids and have the people that want to rent come up for a rural vacation with the uh, meat so good a vegetarian would eat it, as they advertise. I think it's brilliant. It is. I think it is brilliant. They built a cool little house. What do you think? I, you know, I think that it's Airbnb beer to us today. Um, <laughs> I know. I did say but, that. But, you know, I think they might change their branding because it's very good. I think uh, so, what too. What this is is playing off the Italian and other ideas, but especially developed in Italy because it was enshrined by the state in 1985. Agriturismo, or agriturismo, if you're being pretentious like me, mm. um, which is farm visits and farm tourism. Uh, once the state enacted it, there are actually like state road signs to these farms that have in paying guests and have in visitors. And it's like one step removed from WOOF, the World Organic Something Foundation, where students go off and work for two to three months on an organic farm, which is great. But this way, it's just for two or three days when you can visit a farm, help or not help with the farm chores, get to see piglets being born, packed off for slaughter, and and the other charming scenes of a farm. Uh, and Airbnb has, you know, taken up. They saw that this was a market. They're going into it. Uh, Airbnb for a while was doing, and they still do these added experiences. I went to a coffee tasting in London of a guy who roasts his own coffee and makes money through Airbnb and gets the bookings for tourists who happen to be staying at Airbnbs and do this. This is extending this whole experience idea. Um, It's very clever. Here we are talking about it's good publicity, but nobody else has been taking up the cause of farm visits as tourism, and they're doing it. And according to the statistics they gave Vox, almost a million guests from February 2018 to 19 stayed at a farm they found on Airbnb and hosts with farm listings earned more than 81 million. And they quoted somebody in Maine as saying the very pragmatic thing is Farms always have to have additional sources of income. Usually one spouse works for a company or the or the state or local government to get health insurance. You, you cannot survive just as a small farmer. This is a way of supplementing the income without having to go off-site. So you can keep doing your work. Maybe somebody will come help with the chores. But it's a small uh, price to pay in labor to get some additional income right on your farm. Did I ever tell you, Corby, about the time I got in a fight with a small farmer? <laughs> and You were buying eggs really, at a farm stand, right? I was being treated really dis... You know what, you and know, you found they were all broken when you got home. It's well, being treated really disrespectfully. Well, rushed in the, our egg crate. Well, this is a great yeah. story, and I love the creativity. It masks the underlying issue. I mean, we talked about Farm Aid yesterday, which is run by a friend yes. of both yours and mine, which does incredible work for Hart- small Hartford farmers around benefits. the country. But the problem is small farmers should be more supported so they can make a living, so they're not forced to do something like this. And But if they yeah, have to... buy the government subsidies that go to huge farms. That is a brilliant point. Thank you very much. We're talking to Corby Kummer, our so, food guy. So I had no idea the levels of stress in the high-end <laughs> restaurant business, but this guy from La Maison des Bois, mm-hmm. this French restaurant, obviously, obviously. Um, kind of completely lost it when he was accused of using cheddar cheese in That's one of bad. his dishes. 
he said he's been depressed for six months. Well, because he lost the star. He lost a star from the, the Michelin Guide. Mm-hmm. And apparently, this is not that unusual for for people. Well, we talked to you about this before. Don't you remember the guy that said, I don't want to be rated anymore? We talked to Corby well, about yeah, that didn't guy. Didn't some guy commit suicide? And then yeah. Gordon yeah. Ramsay. That's a couple of years ago. Yeah. Was, when he was tricked of a Michelin star at his New York restaurant, he compared the experience to losing a girlfriend. Or losing. What could be worse, Gordon Ramsay? Yeah, he, he probably has a lot of girlfriends, I bet. But anyway, uh, um, they're beside themselves over this. And All I right, guess so it's a wonderful restaurant. Uh, it's a very good restaurant. The guy's named Mark Vera, V-E-Y-R-A-T, and he's known for his great um, ways with vegetables and his great experience of completely local produce. Um, and what he is claiming is that the Michelin Guide said that they put cheddar in their cheese souffle instead yes. of their reblochon, beaufort, and tum. Exactly. But, you know, the end of the story, the Guardian, which ran this story with the cheddar headline, waits till the very end to say, in fact, Michelin never said anything about cheddar. Ooh. So, the you know, where did Mark Feyre get this? Indeed, he is a sore loser. He lost a star. But some of his accusations bear looking into. He's saying that Michelin inspectors don't know what they're doing uh, they don't necessarily come. I think that they do. I think that Michelin could produce the receipts, but apparently, even though he's demanding it, they're not. But I read a sort of disturbing story in the past year that there are a lot of additions, especially in Southeast Asia, uh, Singapore, even ones in China, that are essentially pay-for-play. So a local company will say, we want to increase tourism to our area, so we're going to pay Michelin to come in send its evaluators, and they will produce a sponsored guide. But it's a funny brand dilution of Michelin. So he's saying they're just commercially driven. Well, they are commercially driven. Um, And he says Michelin, they're basically amateurs. They couldn't cook a decent dish. This is what a lot of sore losers and chefs say when they are denied an award that is not given by their fellow chefs. It's a frequent complaint, including about the James Beard Awards, which are not decided by chefs. They're decided by journalists, writers, and other kinds of experts. So they say we only want to be evaluated by their peers. What happens when there's peer evaluation is people vote for their friends, and it's an old boys club, usually old boys, and it doesn't work so well. We're speaking to James Beard Award winner, I should say, Corby Comer, and we are. Now, Corby, can we stay on this first? I know we've had this discussion with you before, but I can't remember what the answer was. It, how many? Michelin in the top is three stars or four stars? I forget. Three. 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 Are there any three? We had this. Are there any three-star restaurants in New England or no? No, I think there might have been one. Oh, no, that was a, a Relay and a Chateau, uh, highest rating in, in southeast Maine. No, there are no three-star restaurants here. Uh, and the restaurateur, Patrick O'Connell at the Inn at Little Washington, was beside himself with joy when he got one because he'd been working forever for it. But what does working forever for a three-star restaurant mean? You will spend a fortune on linen cleaning, on silverware polishing, on all of these trappings that have nothing to do with food, everything to do with hugely high prices, inflated, pompous service, and I think a very unpleasant experience. So my foodie friends 
have generally avoided three-star restaurants like the plague for for decades because you go for a very pretentious experience. It's not focused on the food. And you generally hone in on the one- and two-star restaurants, which probably have much better value ratio. What's the best uh, three-star Michelin uh, Michelin restaurant you've ever eaten in? You know, it was my first and Which I think where? that's what uh, everybody everybody will say. It was a restaurant in, in Paris, and uh, the ceiling retracted to let in the moon. Ooh. And it was oh. a name like La Durée, but it wasn't La Durée. Uh, and, you know, it was beautiful, and it was incredibly elegant, and I'd always dreamed of it. And that was it. You know, one was enough, and I was in... <laughs> I was I wasn't even twenty, but that's all I ever needed to do for life. Three star restaurants are just about pomp and pretension. Do you know why I said Airbnb? Well, no, well, we don't. Well, Stephen just emailed to say that's because Mercury is in retrograde. Retrograde, <laughs> marriage is what brings us together. Well, according to Stephen, Mercury retrograde brings communication and technological breakdowns, nervous anxiety, travel delays, and lost items. Thank you. We all have Thank a lot you, to Stephen. look forward to today. Thank oh, wait you. a second. Can I a, a moment of seriousness here? It's in retrograde right now. Right now? <laughs> white now it is or not? White now. White now. Yeah, That's retro, amazing. Retrograde. Well, okay. Marjorie, the good news for you is the show's over in an hour and two minutes, and we can start all over again. Corby, it's great to talk to you as always. Thank you, Thank you, Corby Cummer. Corby joins us every week. He's the executive director of the Food and Society Policy Program at the Aspen Institute. He's probably going to get fired today. A senior editor at The Atlantic and a senior lecturer at the Tufts Friedman School of Nutrition Science and Policy. Thank you, Corby. Yes. Up next, MIT economist John Gruber is here to talk about the cost. The rent may be do damn high, but is controlling the rent the answer? You know what he's going to do? He's going to tell us what's wrong with, with rent control. Yes, John Gruber's up next. Trusted local news. Where are the sharks and when are they likely to be hunting? I'm 